Welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news. I am not Calvin Reed. I am Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And uh, don't forget, you can find PW Comics World on iTunes and subscribe to it. And please leave a comment and uh, tell us how much you love it. And you can also find us on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. So this week are more to come. It's the annual Kate and Heidi show. Calvin is away on vacation. That means Kate and I get to do whatever we want. So this week on uh, more to come, uh, we're going to talk about Adventure Zone. We're going to talk about the return of Sandman and the Fantastic Four. We're going to talk about Walmart and Target and their exclusive comics. We're going to talk about James Gunn versus Ike Perlmutter, who wore it best. We're going to look at the new Harvey Awards and talk a little bit about FlameCon. So we've got lots to talk about. And let's get to it. All right, Kate, Adventure Zone. Adventure Zone. So, for those people out there who have not heard of it, no, it is not Adventure Time. It is <laughs> entirely different, but now also coming to drawn media uh, fantasy property. The Adventure Zone is, well, I can only call it like a, a heartfelt comical fantasy epic, really. <laughs> It it uh, ran the the arc. These characters who are in the graphic novel, their arc ran for sixty nine episodes with a few bonuses thrown in. Of a podcast. Of, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ran for sixty nine episodes with a few bonuses thrown in of a podcast, a semi improvisational D and D. Set up for it, but really it was kind of more collaborative storytelling, um, which some people complained about. Where they're like, "That ending seems suspiciously set up," and I'm like, "Well, it was pretty heartrending and like epic." So I'm pretty sure they thought it out before they rolled the dice, yes. and they might have fudged a couple dice too. Oh, shocker! Who's played D and D and not maybe you know fudged a saving throw here and there? Yes. Um, yeah, well, in, in the first episode, uh, one of the um, players, and they're they're all family members. It's the um, McElroy. McElroy. It's the McElroy family. Um, so there's Clint, Justin, Travis, and dude, I can't remember the fourth guy. Sorry, guys. And little Nicky. No, that's not his name. But anyway, so Kate, do you listen to? The I listen yes. to the podcast. Okay. So basically, I. I waited until this... So the, the Adventure Zone is still going on. It's just that the the in, the first set of characters have had their complete story. And so since then, they've done some shorter arcs with different characters, but they haven't launched into another full-on right. mega epic. And it's Justin Travis and Griffin McElroy. Right. Okay, the, okay, the family affair. Yes. Yes. And so it really is a full-fledged, satisfying chunk of fantasy <laughs> storytelling um, with the different, um, I suppose you might call them campaigns or series within that 69-plus episode chunk, each being their own storyline, which heavily lines up with, like, a graphic novel or a novel. Right, and I mean, just to, but, uh, you know, the one thing about this... 
Um, you know, we do have an interview with uh, Clint McElroy and Carrie Peach, the artist of the graphic novel, uh, on one of our San- the final San Diego episode of More to Come, so you can go listen to that interview. And uh, But this podcast is mad popular. It's had millions of downloads. It really is. I mean, it's, and to be fair, I mean, I can see why, because it's as complete and chewy and satisfying a fantasy storytelling experience and a comedic storytelling experience as anything you're going to find on television. And it's free, and you can listen to it on your way to work. Right. And um, and the characters, for all they were kind of made up on the fly by, like, a bunch of family members messing around with their microphones, like, they are as fully realized as anything you're going to find in any regular fantasy novel, but funnier. Well, you know, I have not listened to the podcast, so uh, confession there. And, uh, however, I will say with D&D, uh, you know, like, if you're a natural-born storyteller, you just flow into it. So to I'm- give you an idea of the style of storytelling, one of the main characters is named Taco. <laughs> it, it's, he's, he's an elf wizard, so it's spelled T-A-A-K-O. And yes, that is a dig at fantasy right. naming. Right. And yes, the guy who created him immediately at the, within the very first episode is like, this character will invent the Taco at some point <laughs> in the storytelling. And then Griffin McElroy the uh, dungeon master was like, well, he's going to have to earn it one ingredient at a time. <laughs> <laughs> one topping at a time. Um, you know, so, you know, our friends at First Second, uh, you know, are very smart about the licenses. And somehow they got the license to Adventure Zone. Well, uh, it's, it's not even just a matter of the license. Yeah. They, they, this is not like, a, we're going to take this property and get someone else to adapt it. Uh, Clint McElroy, who has been a professional um, radio personality and which I'm sure had something to do with his son's podcast success, uh, just learning from him, um, was also a professional comics writer at one point in his career. So when the time came to adapt it, he was the guy. So it was their baby. They created it. They shopped it around and they found where they were going to sell it. Right. And first second was a very happy home. And, uh, you know, they got Carrie Peach to do the art and she's great. Uh, you know, I, I interviewed them. I, I've read, I've read part of the graphic novel. I, Heidi's very time starved these days for various reasons, but, um, you know, it is, it is delightful. I mean, like you said, it is fantasy with heart, great characters. Um, and it, it seems to have transferred to the graphic... Like I say, I haven't listened to the podcast, but it seems to have transferred it, to the graphic it novel. It transferred part. really well. Yeah. And what I have to say is, if you're someone trying to get into the adventure zone, and you don't have a lot of patience with growing pains, like, there's a... Like, frankly, I found the growing pains in the adventure zone very amusing, as they're, like, figuring out how to handle these dice and, like, cracking jokes. And if it took a little longer to get through the storyline, didn't bother me. But if you don't want to deal with, like, guys, you know making jokes about axes or things then like more than usual then um just read the first graphic novel and uh pick up with the second campaign and you're good to go um i mean i i have to say i felt the graphic novel added something it was definitely a different experience they both were it was i was happy to have experienced both but um and certainly quicker than listening to five hours of podcast, uh, for one storyline. Um, but the, the novelization was very charming and clever in that they took out the jokes that wouldn't translate to comics, but 
they actually kept more than you'd think because basically what they do is while the other characters are genuinely living in and living out this fantasy story, every once in a while there will be this little disembodied head and arms that'll pop up in the corner, (laughs) which is the dungeon master being like, guys, guys, you can't do that. Or, or like everybody will be making fun of, of like the sound and he'll be like, look, I'm doing the best I can with this like cup and straw. Right. Splorch, splorch, splorch. <laughs> Moving know, on. You know, Kate, you are far from the only person who enjoyed this graphic novel. I mean, the very first week it went on sale, it was the number one book on yeah, the that's New what makes York it news. Times. That's why we're referring to this yes, as news, guys. Yes, paperback, which, which seller list. Not for comics, which the Times is general. Anymore. Just in general. This is unheard of. This, is, this has never happened. Now, March has hit the hardcover bestseller. Right. But the trade bestseller comics have yet to crack. And it was number until one. Now. It it's was number not one. On it's not, it was it's number, number one. And it was also like there's already I think ninety nine thousand copies in print. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, what happened is like for to give you an idea, like I was like I want to support comic retailers, so I try to buy my comics at a comic store. Oh boy! I went to Midtown Freaking Comics, which is like New York's superstore of comics. And I was like, I want the Adventure Zone graphic novel. And they're like, we're sold out. I went back a different day. It's like, I want the Adventure Zone graphic novel. And they're like, we got it back in and we sold out again. And I was like, screw it, I'm buying it on Amazon at that point. Because I was like, clearly, people cannot keep this sucker right. on the shelves. Right. You should have pre-ordered a copy, Kate. You know, that's what you got to do if you go to the comic shop. But anyway. uh, well, I don't do that with graphic novels. <laughs> because, well, because, because, one, I feel they should keep them in stock. Right. Two, uh, the... It's not like a $3 investment. It's like a $20 investment. So if I want to take a look at it and see if I want to buy this, like, I, you know, I can't do that if I pre-order. Right. Right. No, that's true. You know, uh, I mean, that's one of the flaws of the but, direct sales market but people, system that we talked about. But people pre-ordered Adventure Zone like crazy. Yeah. It was also the number one, not comic number one book on Amazon the day it was announced and um you know it was number one in pre-orders yes before there was even any yeah it's it's a huge huge success and you know I mean I again I give props to uh for a second for being smart enough to know that they had a tiger by the tail and promoting the heck out of it so yeah I mean I I really think that first second was a very good stylistic fit yeah I mean I feel like there are some other places like top shelf that would have tried Maybe IDW, but I don't think they would have been as good of a fit. And yeah. one of the more, uh, how should we put this, literary houses, I don't think would get it. I just don't think they would have gotten it. I agree. And I think this They is- would have tried to market toward kids, and they would have taken out the, how should we put this, more teen-friendly jokes. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, first seconds uniquely uniquely positioned. I mean, perfect. this is kind of was, like the it ultimate... It was a perfect choice. Yeah, and this is kind of the ultimate first second book, I think. I mean, they do a lot of great creator-owned stuff, but I think this has all the verve of a creator-owned book and it, it, the recognizable, you know, brand name of a huge media sensation. Because it's a creator-owned media yes, sensation. Exactly. When you own the original rights and you're the comic creator, you got it good. Yeah. Well, speaking of, uh, you know, highly recommended Adventures on. Well, speaking of comics, of though, uh, periodicals. Um, so this week saw uh, the return of two of the most venerable names in uh, comics with the Sandman Universe came out and uh, also Fantastic Four, number one, by uh, Dan Slott. 
uh, returned. And, um, you know, Kate and I, we decided we weren't going to talk about it until Calvin's here. But we did, <laughs> you know, but Kate, you're pretty excited about uh, Sandman coming back. Yeah, because I was initially a little like, oh, man, Sandman closed the door. That door should stay cut, shut. But um, Rigo was very smart about it instead of making the Sandman. They're like, okay, that story about that character has come to an end. But we've got all these other characters mm. and all this other universe just surrounding them of awesomeness that other people can play in without disturbing the original storyline and, like, cheapening it into Morpheus Returns, bigger, larger, and uncut uh, yeah. sort of tackiness. Well, well, I mean, you know, Neil... And Ga- they brought on a lot of really great creators. They did. And, you know, Neil Gaiman's kind of the showrunner for this. Uh, it's Neil Gaiman, of course, wrote, uh, you know, created this version of Sandman. And um, this version of Sandman pretty much created Neil Gaiman. Right. And, you know, he's been back a few times. I remember he did the... Not, um, I want to say Endless Night, but it's not that. There um, is one, Endless Nights. Sandman, yes, Endless but Nights. But that's is not one. the one. That was an original graphic novel. But, you know, he did that prequel that was like, um, you know, I, I can only imagine that at DC, pretty much once a year, somebody calls up Neil Gaiman and says, Neil, do you want to do more Sandman? Yeah, and, and so he's done he's done a couple yes. books, and they were good. And there well, have been a couple of, how shall we put this, under the radar spinoffs. Right. Well, let me, let me jump in here and say, you know, as far as Sandman goes, the universe has been exploited for a long time. I mean, the Dreaming was a spinoff of Sandman. I mean, in some way, Books of Magic was sort of a kind. It wasn't really. It was, it was set in the same universe. Set in the same universe. Okay, I was back in an era in which most Vertigo titles sort of vaguely took place in the right. same universe. You've got your Sandman. You've got your Hellblazer. You've got your Swamp Thing. They're all sort of vaguely in the same place, which is not really the case for Vertigo anymore. Um, so at that point, Books of Magic was just sort of, like, in there, too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I, I actually worked on, um, one version of Books of Magic when I worked at Vertigo way back in the day, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, you know, and I, I really loved working on that book. I, I thought, you know, Dylan Horrocks wrote it and he did a great job, but, um, I don't know. You know, I think there's a lot of fantastic stuff in Sandman. I do think... I'm on a couple of message boards, and it really is kind of interesting. I mean, there's a bunch of people who are excited about it coming back, but, you know, I think... I think that is... It is so much of the 90s now. I mean, it's kind of the 90s nostalgia, I guess you could say. I, I don't... I actually don't think it's that. There okay. is 90s nostalgia going around. But I don't think this is that. I think this is that the sensibilities of the comic world as a whole and as to what actually sells is catching up. Mm -hmm. So I think now they're feeling like we understand how to do this kind of thing. Now we understand how to have this make money, even if Neil Gaiman is not writing it. Right. Because to be frank, a lot of the Sandman spinoffs, while they were fine, that weren't written by Neil didn't really sell amazing. Well, like, then, they were know, fine. The Dreaming went on for like a hundred issues. I mean, you know, this is a long-running book, and I mean, nobody talks about the Dreaming anymore, you know? And everybody's nobody, like, oh, remember that great run on the Dreaming? Yeah. I mean, was, no offense to the great... I mean, it had a lot of top people on it. Right, but it was saying, just... It yeah. was not... It wasn't authentic. It, it, well, also, it didn't... It didn't hit the zeitgeist right. just right. Right. I feel like... Like, Neil's name and legend... And Sandman's name and legend has had time to grow. Uh, the comics publishing industry, the people who sell comics, the people who read comics, 
I think, understand this kind of material more. Um, I think they recruited people who have the right sort of flavor for it. I really feel like, I don't know, I just feel like this is the right time. Like, there was a time when Sandman was before its time. Sandman was before its time. But now I feel like Sandman Universe is very much of its time. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, he has, his influence has created the comic world we have now. Right. And we've caught up to the point where, no, it's not quite the original, but I think they know better how to do the spinoffs. Yeah. No, I, I I mean, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, don't get me wrong. I think it's always time for Sandman, you know? I mean, this is a beloved classic. And especially and especially have, when you're playing in the sandbox. Yeah, and they have great people like Neil Hopkinson and Cy Spurrier writing the, the books that are spinning out of it. And, you know, the beloved characters. And, um, you know, but this is, I, I will say, uh, you know, for DC... I guarantee there's always somebody going and saying, uh, you know, Neil, let's do more Sandman. And, yeah. you know, every five years they, they do... When he feels like... They do some kind of new Sandman thing. And Yeah, um, and let's not breathe over Nello Hopkinson. Yes, that major is Major science fiction writer yes. is finally like, yeah, I guess I'll do some comics. Right. Neil asked me to. Right, right. No, well, she's jumped into it. You know, yeah, she's yeah she's, now she's all, all she's, in. Yeah, she's, she's all in. But this is like her, the first Nello Hopkinson you get in comics. Like, that's so right. this is not nothing. That's right. Um, what is it? She's doing a book for Image, isn't she? I believe. Uh, or, yeah, she's doing a couple books. But um, anyway, you know, I certainly welcome her to the comics book world. It can only get better from her participation. So, yes. um, and you know, Fa- Fantastic Four is also back. Um, you know, Dan Slott, and you get another dream job for him. Um, the first issue is not quite the action-packed. It's more like, let's get to know this family. You know, fam- Fantastic Four famously put on hold because um, a different studio had the rights to the movies and it was felt that the comic would promote those movies. So, you know, a comic that sold 40,000 copies a month. Uh, anyway. So, h- how how dare we make money on our own comic when it might help someone else make money on a movie? Exactly. That would be right. terrible. That's right. Well, you know, I think the, the break did well. I think, like, the fact that it went on hiatus for a while has made people really appreciate the Fantastic Four again. So, you know, it's another... You know, this is... I, as opposed to, you know, I do feel Sandman equals Neil Gaiman. Um, I mean, not that other people can't come and play in the Sandman sandbox, but I'm just saying, you know, yeah. like on on Neil's Wikipedia page, there's a big yeah. thing of Sandman. Whereas Fantastic Four with Marvel is like their core title. It's their launch title, you know, and, and the characters of Fantastic Four has always been essential to the Marvel Universe. And you know, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it's their launch title. It but was. It was the first Marvel title. No, it wasn't the first Marvel title. It was the first Marvel title of a certain generation. It was It was the first Stan and Jack book. It was the first Stan and yes. Jack book. Yes, of the Marvel, yes, of the Silver Age Marvel. So Yes, yeah. which is a different thing. But, right, but it's certainly of the yes. Marvel that we know yes. and love. It was yes, the first it is. title. Um, but I, I also quite frankly think that they did the way, if they were going to take Fantastic Four out of the picture, which they did, they did it in a way that I think was the right way, that wasn't insulting the intelligence of the audience and wasn't burning bridges. They didn't have the characters die. They didn't have them all put in jail for doing something horrible. They were just like, they're on a space adventure and we can't find them. Which, what could be more fantastic for than that? Right. That's right. So all they need to do is be found and come back from their space adventure whenever you want them. Yeah. Which is what happens. And, you know, I mean, as we've been talking about on the podcast for quite a while, uh, now Disney owns Fox. So, uh, you know, welcome back, Fantastic Four. Welcome uh, back. Welcome back. Um, well, uh, speaking of periodical comics, Kate 
brought into the office here uh, copies of these Walmart books. So I, I'm holding one in my hand. I well, they are actually very kindly sent to us yes. by DC yes. Comics. We did not have to go to a Walmart. Let's make that perfectly clear. Which uh, would not be such a terrible thing, except for how we are currently in New York, where there isn't one. Yes. And that would be quite an epic trek. Well, I'm going on my summer hiatus to Maine, and there is a Walmart there, so you can bet that, uh, you know, usually I tell my family to take me to uh, to uh, Target, but I think this time I'm going to beg for a trip to Walmart, and they're going to look at me like I'm crazy. But uh, I hope to have some first-hand reports. You know, meanwhile, over on the beat, Todd Allen has been on this story like it was Robert Mueller on... Uh, you know, Trump collusion. I mean, he has been, uh, you know, he has his family members scouring uh, the Midwest for, for Walmarts. And, you know, issue two, like this came out uh, about a month ago. So we should be seeing the number two is about now. And I've heard sporadic reports of that. It was also revealed that, um, as suspected, I mean, I don't, I, you know, people seem really fascinated by these Walmart comics uh, for some reason. And it was also revealed that um, you know, these are part of kind of a third party that stocks this part of Walmart. So a third party is the one who is, who is kind of keeping them replenished. And, you know, uh, I mean, is this going to bring more new readers to the comics? I'm, I'm sure it has the potential to do this. Is this going to get more people talking about these comics online? Yes, all the time. Every time we run a story about these Walmart comics, the traffic is insane. It's just, uh, you know, people are fascinated by these. So I, this is the first time I've seen it. Um, I might actually try reading it. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at the Justice League of America comic here, and it's a little deceptive because it's not actually a Justice League team book, at least so far. It's got reprints of individual comics about individual heroes who happen to be on the Justice League. So you get one original um, Wonder Woman story at the beginning that is, to be frank, a little mediocre. Yeah. The art's good, let's put it that way. Uh, we get one actual Justice League of America comic with, uh, yeah, just not the most amazing, but it is the New 52 origin story, which has kind of been retconned out by Rebirth, but whatever. <laughs> um, like... Not all New 52 comics have been retconned, but that one very heavily has. Um, then then you get The Flash, um, the the Flash one uh, by Francis Manipal and uh, Brian Busolato, which is, is actually very good um, and is the one comic in this that I would pay money for. And then you've got Aquaman, which is fine. But that's it's a, those fine. Are, those are reprints, right? They are reprints. Right. But even so, like the Flash one, even though it is a reprint, is literally the only one I pay money for. The rest of it is outdated or fine. You know, I'm looking through the Superman issue right now, uh, and again, you know, by an array of uh, top talent. Uh, I'm granted, I'm not into this kind of material. Uh, just flipping through it has zero interest to me. Can I see that with the JLA? Yeah. One, please, so, there? see, okay, the thing so is, stuff. I have nothing wrong with like reprinting classics for an audience that hasn't seen them. But a lot of these comics are not what I would call so, classics. Well, They're just not amazing. So let me ask you. There, there is one really good one in here. There is the, the, the first issue of Batman, Superman, World's Finest, which is 
which well, is just it's got some nice it's a Jeff Loeb. I, I it's a like Jeff Loeb book. It's a beautifully written book. I love it. It's it's very uh, fan id fuel in certain ways, where it really gets into what do Batman and Superman think about each other. But you know. That's not such a bad thing. But let me ask you this. Do you think that this is going to be something where a casual reader would pick it up and be, huh, I really want to read more of this? Um, it depends. If the casual reader is, like, is the equivalent of what I was at, like, 13, who whose brain was just primed and ready, and all you need to do was give them even a terrible, mediocre image the darkness comic and they would be like comics i want more of those then it will totally work but this is well this is I, not what i would right, pick especially I, the superman thing is like 50 percent so freaking green Lantern. i would say that this uh these these comics are definitely uh just from the look of them i would say it's more a, aimed at a teen audience a ya audience uh certainly an existing comics fans i mean certainly not aimed at kids and that's fine i mean not everything has to be it for kids so, um, oh, I yeah. think they're all fine for kids. There's nothing in there that's not safe for kids. Oh, no, but I'm just saying, I do not think that the style that these are drawn and written in is appealing to children. No, no, it, it is It is for your 13 and ups. Yes, but I also... Um, Who really like superheroes. Yes, let's just leave it at that. Um, um, you know, there was another... Oh, I'm sorry, Kate. Yeah, but what I was going to say is that, like, again, like, the whole concept is not bad to me, but just looking at which books they picked... Like, there were only, like, I would say each book had, like, one good reprint, and the rest has, like, why did you pick that? Like, you've got all of DC Comics history to pick from. And also, why did you put so much, like, Green Lantern in the Superman book? I don't, I, I just feel like whoever picked these books, I don't know why they picked these well, books. Well, you know, I look forward to 25 years from now, the oral history of how these books came about. So, you know, I, I was looking through... Uh, flipping around, and I saw that a, a line of exclusive comics had launched at Target also. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the reasons we keep talking about these Walmart books is that, you know, comic shops are just... Um, mad. They're so just, mad. They're so furious that, that there's going to be the 48 pages of new material that they don't get uh, exclusively. You can see the steam raising yes. out of their ears from, so, from orbit. So I wondered if these Target comics would get equal ire, but no... For two reasons. Uh, number one, I believe they're all reprints. Uh, number two, they're Disney princesses. Uh, so basically, Target has launched a whole big uh, merchandise line of Disney princess stuff. They got Disney princess underpants. They got Disney princess soup, toothbrush. Uh, well, Disney princess soup's been out for a while. Right. Well, I yeah. They Okay. Well, you know, I should shop more. But, uh, you know, they have it all put under the Disney princess. So these are from Joe Books. You know, Joe Books is quite a successful publisher that we never talk about. They're a little... Uh, mysterious because they do do Disney books for kids. And, um, you know, I have no doubt that these Disney princess books will sell just fine. It's $9.99 for a 96-page anthology. of uh, There's Jasmine, Ariel, um, Pocahontas, Belle, and Rapunzel. And so, uh, like I said, I don't know if they're reprints, but I'm guessing they are because um, Joe Books has been doing a Disney princess uh, periodical for quite a while. So, um, so, yeah, and, and funnily, look, I wrote a story about this on The Beat, and, uh, you know, funnily enough, I haven't heard any outcry so far from comics retailers about this exclusive material. Well, if they are reprints, then they're not exclusive material. Yes, that's true. But also... It is an exclusive format, though. These books are not available elsewhere. They're not on Amazon. Uh, but I think it's all about what is your primary audience. And I think comic shops have, on some level, accepted that, like, 
eight-year-old girls are not their primary audience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They they get their books at Barnes & Noble, where their parents shop. Yeah, exactly. But but it's interesting to see comics back at mass market retailers. You know, somebody in my comment section pointed out that there had already been Target exclusives, and I'm, I'm sure there have been. I mean, Marvel and DC and some other, a few other publishers... Uh, have been trying to get into mass for quite a while or have experimented with it, and it never quite works out. So. As witnessed the $5 floppy cover reprints of, graph- of Marvel graphic novels at right. Walmart a couple of years ago. Right, right. And, um, you know, Walking Dead does sell in, in Walmart. I mean, that's, there is there are some graphic novels that are in the book section at mm-hmm. Walmart that, uh, you know, seem to do quite well. So, um, you know, the experiment continues, basically. There will be more to come yes, on that. Yes, more to come on mass market exclusives. Um, all right, so, uh, okay, we have our controversy of the week, I guess. Um, so just before Comic-Con, uh, James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, was teasing that he would be at Comic-Con to make a huge movie announcement. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also on Twitter all the time uh, criticizing President Trump. And um, some right-wing... Uh, conservative outlets went back and read his tweets from 10 oh, years they, ago. they weren't just right-wing. They were alt-right. Yes, alt-right. Yes, you're right. Yeah. And they found some tweets that he had done as much as 10 years ago that were really in bad taste and jokesing about pedophilia and rape and other unsavory... And it's not like these are the first time these tweets had resurfaced. No, they, they had resurfaced a couple of years ago when he had apologized yes. and said that they were in bad taste and that he wouldn't write anything like that again... Uh, he really was kind of making fun of rape jokes, but he admitted it that he was doing so in a bad way. I will say this also: these jokes were so unfunny. They were they were they just were stupid, really unfunny jokes. I mean, not that you know. I, I sometimes there are horrible jokes that that you can see you can at least see why you people can see think they're why funny. people thought they were funny. I would say there was nothing funny about these, and nor is there really that much funny about Guardians of the Galaxy too. But anyway. Uh, and what's really not funny is that Disney was up and you are gone, buddy. You are fired. F-I-R-E-D. Fired off of Guardians of the Galaxy, which he had just finished the script to. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I should say. And was about to begin filming in January. Um, so, wow. You know, there's been the cast and a lot of people. Uh, the cast wrote an open letter saying they would, you know, quit if he wasn't reinstated. Now they really can't because they have contracts. So Dave Batista, who plays Drax, just came out and said he wouldn't do the movie. Um, without James The rest Ryan. of the, I don't think, would quit, but they just really, really want to Right. And, you know, look, I'll be 100% honest. I think this is really bogus. And, I mean, I know that we have, um, you know, we've we've opened up a lot about what is inappropriate and what is harassment and what is, uh, you know, what is wrong and what is a fireable offense. And, I mean, I think to go back 10 years, this stuff was all known. It was all out there. And suddenly... You know, because of this alt-right pressure to, to, for the man to lose his job. You know, listen, if he had harassed, actually harassed somebody, you know, would I, I would be right there with Absolutely. him. You know? And, but, I mean, I understand, like, were these tweets offensive? Yes, they were. I just, I'm sorry, I just don't believe that offensive language is enough to uh, lose your livelihood well, forever. I think, in, this, in this instance. Yeah, I think part of what people are criticizing about it is a certain level of hypocrisy in that given that these had resurfaced and been discussed about a couple years ago when he already had a contract with Disney, Disney totally knew these things were out there. They were even brought up in the press. So it wasn't like, oh, well, maybe we just never Googled it. Like, they knew. 
They didn't fire him then. And it's only now that a big stink is being made that suddenly, oh, we've got to fire James Gunn. Right. And I want to bring up a couple of other things about this. Um, That, uh, you know, Disney. So so just to to try to give a little bit of the background. Most of the people that I had been talking to said, oh, they're going to bring him back. You know, I mean, they haven't talked about any, they have announced a new director, they're going to bring him back. But then they've been saying, like insiders, you know, say that Bob Iger is set. I'm not bringing him back. And the uh, kind of a little bit unstated, but part of the reason is that this whole Disney Fox thing is going through. And guess what? Maybe they don't want to have the Justice Department say that this merger can't take place. You know? And um, I want to I, I, I throw in here a little bit. You know, when I said who wore it best... Is I, that your your speculation or somebody else's? I, it's other people's speculation. Okay. I am certainly not the only one to have speculated about this. But, you know, I want to bring up that Isaac Perlmutter, Marvel's uh, chairman, has also been in the news again this week because uh, we kind of knew this, but him and two of his buddies from Mar-a-Lago have become the informal... Uh, informally running uh, the Veterans Affairs Administration. How did that even happen? Well, it happens because we're living in a terrible time, and that has no norms. And, um, you know, I mean, imagine if Obama went to his, or Hillary had gone to their country club and had some of their friends. Or if Obama had gone to his black church. Yes, and had some of his friends suddenly running uh, a major... Uh, government uh, and not even officially, right? Right. You know, I'll give. I'll I'll say this. There's been a lot of uh, outrage about this, in just in terms of um, you know, basically the people who are at the VA go to Mar-a-Lago and talk to uh, Ike and his buddies about you know what do they think should should happen, and that's just kind of bogus. I haven't actually heard that they've made bad decisions, but Ike has one hundred percent absolutely used this to promote Marvel. They had, like, a, a day that was uh, honoring veterans uh, at Wall Street, and they got uh, guys dressed as Captain Marvel and Spider-Man standing there as part of this event that was honoring veterans. And so, you know, this has absolutely crossed over into promoting his own business. So, you know, when I look at at Ike Perlmutter and James Gunn, uh, you know, man... And, and not even that, but, but, well, we know this, but dear listeners, you might not know this. Long before anyone knew anything about his politics, Ike Perlmutter has been infamous as a very unpleasant human being. Yes. Um, no one fired him for Disney for that. Right. Well, Bob Iger hates Ike and would get rid of him if he could, but he's just too powerful. He's a very powerful guy. But I, I, I guess what sticks out in my mind about this um, is, is a couple different things. But, uh, you know, maybe if we were doing this podcast a month ago and, you know, we would say James Gunn, he's a powerful Hollywood director with a million Twitter followers, a million Instagram followers. He's, you know, involved in everything at the MCU, the most popular movie of all time. You know, we just said, oh, here's a, you know, here's a pretty powerful guy in Hollywood. But when this all comes up, you know, he's just another creative that Disney is throwing under the bus. And, uh, you know, they have no compunction about it. And I... I'm not, listen, I'm not convinced he's blacklisted. I think he can get a job somewhere Oh, he else. totally can. He absolutely can. And, you know, Warner Brothers would love to get James Gunn on, um, you know, on one of their superhero projects. So, no, but he's, he... Harley Quinn. Yeah. You want him for Harley absolutely. Quinn. Absolutely. He, you know... Smash I'm, dunk. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this is going to be a win. I, listen, Heidi's instincts, Heidi's intuition still says I'm not 100% convinced that he isn't going to come back somehow, okay? That's just my Hollywood yeah. gut. You know, Chris Hardwick is back. You know, Chris Hardwick didn't do anything illegal, but he was a really shitty, abusive boyfriend. 
you know what? He's back. Okay. Like it was investigated and he's back. Um, some of these other people who have been caught up in, in allegations, I want to say allegations, you know, accusations, uh, have kind of, not even that. It's not even even, that. And furthermore, it's, it's, I mean, there have been some pushback against those stupid comments, but like Hollywood and I would say the public as a whole has not taken against him. It's not people going, ew, when his name is brought up. Right. Um, so I don't think he even really has to recover his good name. He just needs to find another gig. Yeah. Well, and believe me, he will get another gig. And he will get a big, uh, if he is taken off Guardians of the Galaxy, he will get a large settlement from Marvel because he was under contract to them. So, um, you know, and, and also, this is interesting. Because he did the tweets before he was fi- hired by Marvel, it doesn't come under their moral turpitude clauses either. So, yeah. so it's a pretty interesting situation. And it was public, so it wasn't like it was a later discovery. Right. Like, it was right there. Right. And, you know, look, I was on this podcast. We had one of our biggest fights ever about Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And yes. I was not a fan. But you know what? Yes. There's no person besides James Gunn that I want to see do Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I mean, simple. Simple. Wemple. I mean, I kind of feel like... I don't know we need a Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I felt like 2 was sufficient Guardians of the Galaxies. But um, if there's a 3, he should be doing it. Yes. Yes. Um, Like, unless somebody really, like, has some brilliant brainwave and picks someone heretofore unthought of who is a comedic genius on the same wavelength, which, I mean, I don't know, maybe there is such a person. Uh, I just think it's highly unlikely that anyone else will have the right touch. Absolutely. And, I mean, he created those characters. You know? They're great performers. That version. Yeah. That version is, is he's a co-creator with the actors. Absolutely. And with that, with, if you took out, if you changed the actors or you changed the writer, it would not be the same. So, but they might keep his script and spook well, him. Well, they have, I mean, I just hope so. So, you know, Kate, let me ask you one thing, though. I, I, I think the James Gunn situation, you know, we've talked so much about outrage mm-hmm. uh, ever since this podcast began. And I think with James Gunn, it's the first time that people are really like, you know what? He's sorry. Let's move on. Because a lot of times apologies are not accepted. Well, I think part of it is is that it was weaponized. Mm-hmm. People don't like to feel used. Right. If your enemy, which, let's face it, uh, the alt-right is the enemy of a large chunk of the American people. <laughs> maybe 75%. <laughs> Whether they know it or not. Uh if your enemy weaponizes your outrage and you know it's them and you know they're using it cynically and you know they don't give a damn, I think I think that makes you look at it differently than if it is brought up in good faith. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, it was brought up in good faith and this fight was had in earnest like a few years ago. Right. And... Um, you know, like that outrage cycle kind of happened. And this is being weaponized by people that most people on the internet aren't big fans of. Right. Like, I mean, especially, uh, there's, there's like, definitely, there have been a lot of punch Nazi memes with Captain America in them. Let's just put it that way. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, well, I, the way that it's been put to me, uh, and I mean, not just to me. I mean, on no one on, likes on the used. trade. Nobody likes to be used. But you know, it's just as far as why uh, Disney is standing pat with not not bringing him back is they know that if they do, then the alt right and all this segment is going to be every time something Disney comes up as be oh well you hired James Gunn who tweets about pedophilia which you know 
<laughs> they don't, they don't, well, see, I think, I think there's a very specific reason. And I think it doesn't have anything to do with Trump. I think, I mean, there may be some of that going on separately with Perlmutter or whatever, but I think it's, Disney has always been very, 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 very protective of themselves as family entertainers. And anything that has the word pedophilia attached yeah. has them heading for the hills. And as I recall, a couple of his tweets mentioned Disney characters. Oh, heavens. And so pedophilia plus Disney characters equals Disney just going on, on nuclear PR protection. Um, if, if it had not been pedophilia jokes, if it had just been, like, rape jokes, and if they hadn't been Disney characters, I kind of think the response would be different. I really yeah. do. Yeah, well, he went there. He crossed the, you know, he touched the third rail. I mean, he touched the third rail. There's certain things you just don't joke about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there's no question that was a terrible joke and stuff. But, on the other hand, Disney had hired him knowing. But anyway, anyway, yeah, I think that's why. And I think that's why Disney won't hire him back. Because, like, Disney we have all seen, will go to extreme lengths, will change freaking copyright laws in order to preserve their vaunted visual of purity. Right. And they know perfectly well that if they hire him back, at least anytime soon, while this ferment is still going on, that there will be a veritable font of Disney pedophilia memes on the internet directed at them. And they just... That is literally the last thing they want. Right. Well, it's it's very troubling. It's very troubling both ways, you know? And it's very troubling that, um, you know, I mean, this has nothing to do with comics, but it's very troubling to me that Twitter is the only social platform that hasn't been InfoWars, which, you know, knowingly perpetrates lies about... Um, yeah. About... You know, murder and and just says, you know. And then Jack from Twitter came out and said, "Well, you know, journalists need to defend these ideas." It's like, really? Do I really need to go out and prove that water uh, is wet? That Sandy Hook happened? I mean, isn't that kind of a fact? Why should why should we be wasting our time litigating whether all these children were killed in a school? You know, we did that. We had articles about it we when buried it happened. These children. Like, these articles are all out there. We don't need to put them out again. There's no new evidence other than the evidence just, that reality exists. It is, and it's funny because I saw, uh, a, you know, briefly... Oh, you know, it's a tangent. Let's not go off on it. Anyway. So, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, Twitter. Uh, well, the sooner Twitter dies, the better off we'll all be. And I say that as somebody who used to love to tweet and read Twitter. All right. Anyway, moving on. Okay. Well, you know what else made its... Uh, it's a return this week is a lot of things returning and, uh, the Harvey Awards are back. Uh, the Harvey Awards last held at Baltimore, uh, two years ago have moved over to, uh, New York Comic Con and to partner with Read Pop. And, uh, today they announced their first nominees. Uh, so the, the, in past years, the Harvey Awards had a full slate of like 22 awards, yeah. And when uh, they were under the impression that they could fight to be the top awards right. ever, and that people actually cared who they thought was the best right. letter. And the Harveys, as opposed to the Eisers, Eisers are dominated on by judging panel. The Harveys were nominated on by, quote, uh, industry professionals, unquote, which often ended up being a very small cabal of people, and there were some real howlers among the nominations. You know, there were Embarrassing stinkers. Embarrassing stinkers. And also, I think even some of the people who stuffed the ballot box were actually embarrassed when they came out. And uh, so, so it had just become a laughingstock. And the ceremony was like... Four hours long. So, anyway, something had to be done. So, 
the new Harvey Awards have only six categories. Six. Yes, and the categories are for the items, not for the creators. Right. So there's. So uh, I guess they're doing like the the equivalent of the Oscars Best Picture, right. where everybody kind of gets credit for it. Really. Yes. Uh, so there's Book of the Year. Uh, digital book of the year, best children young adult book, a uh, best adaptation from a comic book, graphic novel. It's a little bit weird, so that's for movies and TV shows because there's eight billion of them. Uh, best manga and best European book. Um, I'm not in love with the names, the categories, but I do like all those categories. Um, and so this year, uh, you're going to have a slim slate. That's the way to do it, right? So they what they did this year is they sent out ballots to about 200 industry professionals, myself included. Uh, and uh, they were the selected the nominees, but it was it was a balanced slate, so we did not get some of the ballot stuffing up before. So there is quite a f- are there are quite a few nominations in yes. these categories. Book of the Year has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Um, I don't know if that's because they were ties or what. Uh, best adaptation has quite a few as well, but they're all good. I mean, this is kind of like, I'll just read the best, the book of the year nominations of Black Hammer, Secret Origins, Boundless, Everything is Flammable, Hostage, Kindred, Lighter Than My Shadow, Monstrous, My Favorite Thing is Monsters, Roughneck, uh, Big Year for Jeff Lemire, uh, Shade the Changing Girl, Spinning, The Best We Could Do, The Customer is Always Wrong, The Flintstones, there's a typo in there, guys, you better fix it, I'll go, Uh, and The Prince of the Dressmaker. And you know what? We've talked about almost every one of those books in this podcast, and uh, they were all great. So, uh, I mean, uh, you know, when my favorite thing is Monsters wins, so that'll be great. But you know what? Those are 14 other fine, strong nominees. I, I'm actually at this point voting for anything but my favorite thing is Monsters, just because that book needs to share some of the spotlight. Well, it did lose, like, it lost some of the Eisners. It did not sweep all its categories. So um, It just came perilous close. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some, I, I, I like pretty much every, every nomination in here. They're all fine nominations. Yes. And the awards will be presented at a gala event, uh, during New York Comic Con Friday night at Shop Studios, uh, which is near the Javits Center. And Shop Studios is also the home, I just announced today, uh, that New York Comic Con is doing another new kind of, uh, slate of events that is called, I'm looking for it rapidly in my, uh, copious email of uh, the studio at New York Comic Con. So basically they're going to hold a lot of uh, high-end events that you do not need a badge for. For instance, a car- conversation of Alex Ross talking to Chip Kidd. That'll be $65, but you do get a book. Uh, workshops. Oh, there's an Adventure Zone event, Kate. Uh, Murder on the Rockport Limited. Wait, uh, wait, they're, they're doing a read? What? what? Uh, oh. Includes book. Oh, let's see what it is. Uh, it's thirty five dollars. Uh, you better get your ticket now because everything that these guys I, do I sells am, out. I am buying it before this podcast goes out, so our dear okay. listeners do not buy them before I do. Uh, so yeah, it is a uh, it is a um, yeah. The, all the Macarons will be there talking about the book and Carrie Peach. So oh, and, you, still and you get about it? yes, and your ticket you'll receive a copy of the first book, The Adventure Zone, uh, signed by uh, the team. So, uh, oh, but it also you get an exclusive sneak peek of Adventure Zone Murder on the Rockport. Oh, yeah, that's the second which one. Which is, yeah, there is going to be a second book in the Adventure Zone series. But anyway, yeah, so New York Comic Con is expanding to this new venue, and um, the Harvey Awards are coming in a gala event. So, you know what? Uh, you better go get uh, your Rent the Runway account fired up. Yeah. New York Comic Con is looming in the future, but before that is New York's, another great New York event, uh, Flame Con. Flame Con. Oh, Flame Con. Are you going to Flame Con, Kate? 
a question that I have been asked many times, to which my answer always is yes. So this is a big year for FlamCon, because, uh, which is, by the way, the queer-themed con, uh, just in case you didn't get it from the title. Um, and they are moving from a hotel in Brooklyn to the big town, the big city, Manhattan, so they'd be held up. I wish they hadn't. Yeah, I mean, you know, you guys were at the first one, which apparently at this charming, overheated, you know, crumbling Baroque ballroom or something. Uh, the last couple of years it was at the Brooklyn Mar- Sheridan, I believe. Marriott, it's, uh, right off from the courthouse. It, but it's very near, it was near food, they could really afford it, despite being a small con, you know, it kept prices low. It was very nice. It wasn't very crowded. There was lots of food options. I mean, I, I just kind of wonder, given Manhattan prices versus Brooklyn prices, right. whether this move was wise. Well, you know, we, we'll know see. we noted that there was always lines to get into the programming. And, the, you know, they got capped very quickly. The programming rooms are very small. Yeah, uh, well, the they sh- could have moved to another hotel. Yeah, I mean, they're Brooklyn. at the Sheraton, New York. Um, the, which is in Times Square. Uh, I'm, I, I, there was a con there way back in the day. Like nobody I hope remembers. they got a good deal. Nobody remembers but me. And, um, and, uh, you know, it's a pretty good venue. Um, it's actually right by where, uh, they, there was a con that was held. It has a very big basement, as I recall. There was actually a con that was held there that, um, was very strange. It didn't work because then you couldn't do a con. I'm sure Flame Con will do quite well. Um. Uh, a couple of the guests, I mean, um, let's see, who is coming? Who can come? Um, you know, it's Amy great, Reader's coming. Yes, Amy Reader's coming. You know, I just want to throw in there, Flamecom is a great event to go to, even if you are a cis, het, white woman like myself. I will enjoy it a great deal. Uh, Noelle Stevenson is coming. Um, Shadi Petoskey is coming. Um, let's see, Vida Yala, Steve Orlando, Molly Ostertag, Marika Tamaki, uh, as long as you're LGBT friendly, you're welcome. Yes, it it's is. it's a comic con. It's a comic con. You will find more fan art of people kissing than you will at a regular comic con. But personally, I find that a plus. Yes, and it is. I I, I went to uh, the last two flame cons, and it was a delight. Just the creators, the energy, the uh, books, the comics. For its size, you will not find better cosplay. Absolutely. And you know what? Uh, Very good-hearted, if, warm fun. If, yes, and if New York Comic Con is too much for you, uh, then, um, well, don't overcrowd FlameCon. But anyway, it's... it's. Uh, it's but yeah, it's if, 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 if this sounds like something you might be interested in, and New York Comic Con sounds too long, or too expensive, or too overblown and commercial... Um, you know, this or, or one of the art cons like Mocha are the way to go for you. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, even though, uh, you know, as I said, I am straight, uh, the community at FlameCon is amazing. I mean, it really is a great place for so many people to come together and, and it's very lighthearted and positive. It is. And it really reflects the diversity of comics. It's such a positive, uh, uplifting way. Um, it's very inspiring. So... Uh, yeah, FlameCon, not this weekend, but uh, it will be held weekend after this weekend. The weekend after this weekend, which, because we're not number-oriented, so we're not going to give you the dates, but you, you'll be able to find it. If you look it up, you'll be able Google to find it. Google FlameCon. So, so that brings us, to, well, actually, we have one more, we have a couple more minutes. So, uh, you know, one thing uh, that uh, was slowing around uh, on my social media was uh, Rob Liefeld had a big, long post about how he'd gone to visit Stan Lee. He had a picture of himself with Stan. Stan was wearing his green sweater. And he wears his green sweater. He must be very attached to it because he is in most photos wearing it. 
Neither that or he owns a couple that are just the same. I think he likes green. But, uh, you know, Rob had a very long um, post about feeling very positive about Stan and, you know, that he was in good good health and in good hands and that was being cared for. And, uh, you know, I mean, Rob's a controversial person himself, but, uh, you know. I've but I think this is something we can trust him on. Absolutely. absolutely. Like, we, we may not trust him to know that <laughs> Czechoslovakia no longer exists. <laughs> Rob, get a map. But, uh, or, you know, how feet work. But I, I honestly feel that we can trust him yes. to be honest about his impressions yes, of yeah. how Stanley is going. Absolutely. And I, I would say this is, like, by, by far the most, um, you know, uh, trustworthy account that yeah. we've had of Stan. And, um, you know, I, Stan's not doing signings anymore. That was also announced. Uh, that, but he, he's not doing public signings, but he's doing very limited number of signing things through an agency where, the, you know, you pay a lot of money, you send them off, and Stan will sign them. You know, um, Stan. Something he can do from home. Yeah. And, but he seems to be, uh, have stabilized after some really rough times that were very yeah. uh, upsetting to watch, I feel. And I'm sure upsetting for Stan. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Apparently he was like, you know, taken away from his home and to some apartment by one of these mishandlers and, you know, kind of oh. kidnapped and, and, you know, this is elder abuse, uh, clearly. And, um, yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I, I want to see Stan. Uh, spend the time that he has left in a safe, happy place. And I would not say no to seeing some of the people who treated him badly land their butts in jail. Yeah, uh, I agree. If crimes are committed, they should be prosecuted. Yes, agreed. So, Kate, um, is there anything else that we need to get out while Calvin's not here? What else did we talk about? Calvin's office, you know, it's quite a sight to behold. He did clean it up before he went away, so that's Yeah, he, he did. He's actually got uh, slightly fewer comics in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, not not that we don't all envy giant yeah, piles yeah, of comics, yeah. just you need to be able to find your comics under your comics and behind your comics and behind the comics they're behind. Right. Um, Calvin has been, I have learned many, many, many things about Cal- from Calvin, and one of them is how not to organize my office space. <laughs> But uh, he, he he's doing better. I don't know. You know, Calvin and I are both horrible pack rats. But you notice that we usually can find the pile. You know, we were we know which we we well usually when I even when my office was here and I had was a pack rat, I usually knew kind of where something was. But dear readers, she had a stack <laughs> of comics that was as high as my shoulder. I know it's true that I am quite short, but I'm not that short. Right. Well, you, we get a lot of free things. Here. We do. We, we do. do. Um. But I do have a couple briefs. So there's going to be an animated Hellblazer movie. It's going to be called City of Demons. And it's going to be adapting the graphic novel All His Engines. And also, uh, Ghost in the Shell, that classic of manga and anime, is coming back for a new anime series. And there are going to be not one, but two seasons of it, which they're ordering right off the bat. And Prince of Cats. Oh, yes. Ron Wimberly's um, masterpiece. masterpiece of, like, modern, urban... Hip-hop Hip-hop Shakespeare adaptation is is coming to the big screen, and I can only imagine how awesome it's going to be. Well, yeah. I mean, it's been optioned. It's a long way from being made, but it has some pretty solid people who are very exciting attached, and... You know, I could not, uh, we have... I never have called that, but I'm thrilled. Yeah, and you know, we've raved about Prince of Cats on this podcast endlessly. Before, my favorite thing was Monsters. Our favorite thing was Prince of Cats. And, and it was my favorite thing of Monsters before there was my favorite yes, thing Yes, yes, yes. So anyway, and you know, Ron is a really fantastic...
fantastic creator. And uh, yeah, I, I this would you know I always say you don't need the movie to enjoy the the comic. And a lot of times the adaptations are not as good as the comic. But in this case, it would make a kick butt movie. It sure would. So, all right. Well, I guess that's it. Uh, this ends the annual Heidi and Kate show. Uh, thank you for listening. And if you have listened, uh, please go on iTunes, subscribe. Please leave a comment. Please rate us. Please let us know. Uh, that Click the little heart us. button on yeah. on Tumblr or Facebook. Yeah, just just let us know. You know, we know you're listening, but uh, it's always good to have a little validation. So Sometimes I feel like, do we have listeners? The little numbers on the podcast ticker say, yes. But it's all so abstract. Reach out to us. Talk to us. Tell us what you feel. You know, people don't connect enough now. And we want to connect with you, listeners. So, uh, all right. And we won't even charge you $35 plus book to get it. That's right. So, until next time when Calvin returns, and there will be more to come. come.